I'm going to talk to you today about the Mass. The liturgy is what enculturates the gospel for us. What are you, some kind of altar boy? And, and it enculturates it into our day-to-day life, our, our day-to-day existence. It's pretty dang exciting, huh? We're called not to some crapshoot called life, but to an adventure in fidelity that beckons us to cast out to the deep. We are done, done, done. We are done, done, done. We are done, 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 done. We we are done. What are we done with? With what are we done? Everything. Good. Good night, everybody. Yeah, that's right. No, we have finally finished the mystery of the Eucharist. What? No, the mystery of the Eucharist is not. We've exhausted it. We have been talking about the bishop's document called. It is no longer a mystery. We mm-hmm. we got to figure it's it been out. Fully it reminds me of that line. You, you remember that line? At first, it's, it's Ephesians. What, what, what's the Pius X line about instaurare omnia in Christo? Never heard of it. Uh, so that's from Ephesians one ten. I think it's like an evening prayer canticle. But it says, God has given us the wisdom to understand fully the mystery, the plan He was pleased to decree in Christ. Plan to be carried out in the fullness of time to restore all things in Christ. But that line about He's given us the wisdom to understand fully the mystery. That must be the Holy Spirit, I guess. But uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't understand. That's like, has God given us the wisdom to understand fully the mystery of the Eucharist? In the life of the church it helps to have the three three guys who talk about liturgy to really yeah. hone in you know and take it sentence well, by sentence yeah we make listeners uh, uh feel smarter about themselves after that's listening right. to us. just like father so, adam wilzak yeah. father adam wilzak here in <laughs> kansas city smart guy yeah all right uh christopher what are what are yes. we going to talk about today on on this podcast i'm, I'm excited jesse, jesse we're going to talk about the liturgy today Great. Okay. So uh, no, no. What are we talking about? Come on. Let's uh, let's dive into this. You said you have like a special surprise question for both of us. And, yeah. And- well, I'm, I'm keeping my cards a little close to my chest. Uh, not, not, I haven't given you guys too much information about what we're going to talk about because uh, I don't want you to think about it too much. I don't want to put you on the spot. Exactly. I mean, I do, sure. but uh, yeah. Are you the same Chris? I used to know Chris. Oh yeah. You always want to like, I'm a new and improved. Believe. What are your feelings? Having, <laughs> did you have a midlife crisis and came out on the other side? Yeah, well, I did have a midlife crisis. That's why I have the beard now. I, I couldn't afford a Mustang or anything. And it's so going on about seven years now. <laughs> yeah, uh, no, you know, we did that Pope Benedict, uh, you know, how does, you know, how does his uh, legacy make you feel uh, podcast? And I thought that's pretty good. But so no, this know, isn't. Yeah. What's funny about the beard comment when we yeah. did our very first episode, you were clean shaven and Dennis had a beard. That's yeah. that's how long ago this yeah, was. Yeah. There's an old picture on some website somewhere oh, that it was, it was existed like that for like a minute and a half, but that uh, it's there yeah. in the photos. Hey, what? What? Chiefs. How about them Chiefs? AMC champs. AFC champs. Boom. Oh, is that is that a football team? Uh, yeah. <laughs> it is, in fact. <laughs> so there you go. And other story. Other story. I sent you both this email yesterday yesterday or the day before i ran into a student here just on friday who has a brother who was a tratty catholic and wanted to marry a woman who was not a tratty catholic but she was catholic but she didn't quite understand why people paid attention to liturgy and so he told her to listen to the liturgy guys she didn't want to marry him because she thought he was crazy so she told him to listen to the liturgy guys understand what liturgy was about she listened and now they're married how about that 
Is that, that crazy is cool. or what? Yeah. Things you yeah. never thought would happen yeah. when you start a podcast back yeah. in the old days. I didn't think anybody would so. listen to this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that yeah. is cool. That is cool. So they're going to have children and they're going to have us to thank for having oh, wow. been brought into this world. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So uh, you know no who pressure. you are out there. Well, so. I tell you, we're going to do a, an upcoming a podcast on the sacrament of baptism. So if they are going to have children, they should listen to that podcast too. Mm-hmm. But, Anyway, that's a All different right, back podcast. To your, back to yeah. your uh, deep thoughts. It's a good idea, Chris. I'm okay. teasing you about deep you. thoughts. No, no, no that's Christopher fine. Carson. That's I can be, I can be teased. That's all right. All right. No, this is what I had in mind. In fact, I, I got this idea. I read it somewhere, and so I'm kind of uh, lifting off that. So we're in this period of Eucharistic revival, right? And it's a period where the church and her members, especially in the United States, are to kind of reflect and pray about. Uh, the truth of the Eucharist, that Jesus is present entirely, body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, that uh, in the sacrifice of the Mass, uh, uh, Calvary is made present to us, things like that. But it, and, and, and many people don't believe this, right? Well, it seems there's some, some prior questions that we could ask before you get to the problem of belief in the Eucharist. And that is, why do you think Jesus is God? Because if you don't think Jesus is God, you're never going to believe that he's present in the Eucharist, right? Belief in the real presence presumes that you believe Jesus is God. And so I want to know from you guys of liturgy why you think Jesus is God. And even before that, even before that, um, why do you think there is a God, right? So if you don't think there's a God, then certainly you don't believe Jesus is God. And you're not going to believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. So you see where I'm driving at is that there's other matters of faith, problems of faith, struggles with faith, truths of faith, beauties of faith that uh, are preliminary to belief in the Eucharist. And I don't know, I wanted to ask you guys about that uh, on this podcast. Now, before you answer, though, this is not like, uh, do you remember uh, exactly uh, the uh, prima pars of St. Thomas's Summa? And can you recount his proofs for the existence? This isn't, this isn't what why St. Thomas says this or why other people should say that. This is, as you say, Dennis, this is uh, kind of your own personal, why do you happen to believe that there's a God? Why do you believe that Jesus is God? And then we can get to the rest of these years, uh, Jesus and Eucharist. Is that well, rambling? Is awesome, sense? Chris. I think we should start with you. Uh, hey, I'll ask the questions here, McNamara. <laughs> Turn it around on you. <laughs> yeah, why don't you? Why don't you? Why don't you give yeah, us an off. answer, and that will help mm-hmm. us understand, uh, you know, the kind of frame of mind that, yeah. that we need to aim at. Okay. All right. I guess that's fair enough. It's not quite how I planned it, but anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay. Start from the beginning. You know, why does Chris Carstens believe that there's a God in the first place? It was because... the word, and the word was with God, and the word. Oh, <laughs> yeah. not that beginning. Yeah. Yeah, well, I, I don't know. Maybe it's, maybe that's maybe that is it for you. I don't know. I think it's the beard. There the could beard. not be your beard without a God. Yeah. I well, often Jesus say that had bacon, a beard. Well, that's true. Bacon and butter are both proof of the existence of God, and coffee okay. are proof of the existence of God, right? Well, it's got to start somewhere. I mean, mm-hmm. and and I don't know. And I'm sure there's some common themes, but uh, for each believer out there, probably his or her path to belief has taken all sorts of different uh, routes, but. Uh, I don't know, you know. So th- there is that line. I is it a letter of Saint Peter about uh, always giving uh, evidence uh, for the hope that is within you and things like that? So why, why should a person be able to articulate uh, belief in God? Well, mine. Um, and there are many, but I would say, um, to me, what I find real convincing 
is that uh, I've, I've never encountered anything that made itself. Everything seems to have come into existence by being made by something or someone else. And if I'm supposed to just, even though there's no evidence to the contrary, I'm supposed to believe that the world just sort of made itself. Now, maybe because I'm not some astrophysicist and I'm just stupid liturgy guy i don't understand the reasons for that but that's one of the reasons i believe in god is i'd have there'd be a whole lot of explaining to do if i took god out of the equation so that's just one i have more though but i want to hear some of your guys's reasons yeah your guys's jesse you guys uh you know that i think for me it's been you know um lots of little moments like that and realizations built upon each other I mean, certain, certainly culminating with my understanding, uh, better understanding of sacramental theology at the liturgical institute, and hope, who knows what's next in my life. But I, I think for me, there's two kind of things that uh, I point to. I mean, first of all, uh, I, was, I was baptized Catholic and was put in, in a Catholic family. So those, those conversations were had with me, you know, very young. And so I think there's the graces that come with baptism and then subsequently the other sacraments. I think that has something to do with it. Um, I always had a fascination with the mass. I always wanted uh, to be an altar server. It was something that was very exciting to me. The thing that I pointed to in mass all the time at that point, uh, it was the, the old translation, but the part in the mass that like hit me every time was, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and my soul shall be healed. And for whatever reason, that really tugged on my heart, my heartstrings. After that, um, I heard them as the three proofs of C.S. Lewis, but mm -hmm. I understand it was kind of Aquinas or some other people that had these thoughts. But, um, you know, historically speaking, Christ exists. You either believe that he was a, a liar, a crazy man, or that he was God. And for me, that that logic there kind of really edified in me the rationality behind all of this, even though, you know, the faith is a mystery and there are so many mysteries to kind of ponder till the end of time. That was uh, certainly big for me. And then to kind of add a little thing at the end, um, experiences are really big, right? Mm -hmm. So you can know and understand something intellectually. But uh, for me, up in the mountains at Camp Oitiwa in the summer and, you know, hiking a mountain and the place, the very place that John Paul II would walk and, and pray a rosary when he was here for World Youth Day in 97 and feeling God in the wind and the presence, like for me, that was a huge moment for me. And so mm -hmm. it, it's intellectual, but it's also an encounter. Mm -hmm. And so I, I don't think you can have one without the other and they, they uh, are mutually enriching. So mm -hmm. that's my answer. I don't know if it's a good one. But. No, it's the wrong answer. Actually go back and think again. <laughs> we, were looking, we were looking for Albuquerque. Sorry. Go, go get baptized. Uh, no, no, that, no, Jesse, there's no wrong. Well, I suppose there is wrong, answer, but no, that's, that's absolutely. If that's uh, uh, the experiences and the truths and the insights and the flashes and the graces that have come your way in your, your life, then bam, that's, that's great. Dr. McNamara, I presume. Yes, is the old man of the group here. Uh, <laughs> we didn't talk about encounters when I was in CCD. We just said, learn this or else. And even that, there wasn't that much uh, to learn. But, you know, something that I heard Bishop Barron say a couple of years ago was that faith is not believing in something that's irrational. Faith is believing in something that's totally reasonable to believe. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you have a friend who never is late and always remembers your birthday, you have the faith that the next year they're going to remember your birthday and show up on time, right? That's a reasonable thing, even though 
there's no scientific evidence to prove that they'll show up on time. And mm -hmm. so there's a sense of authority and there's the sense of the authority of the one who speaks, right, or demonstrates. And so, you know, kind of what you were saying, what Jesse was saying, you know, that you can say there's this kind of authority in nature. Like it's reasonable to believe that creation didn't create itself, right? That mm -hmm. something bigger than the existence of the universe, as big as it is, had to be there to make the universe. And um, to me, that's a great sort of intellectual foundation for all of this. And then, you know, there's just something mm. lovely about it. I have a longtime friend. We've known each other since we were 12 years old. And she was baptized but not raised Catholic and kind of slipped into a, you know, agnosticism. And then we were talking and talking and talking and talking. And then finally we came to this God is love itself as a definition. God is love itself, right? Love, good, that it's effusive of itself. And she's like, yeah, I, I can believe in that. She has all these hangups about God being angry, judge, you know, flying spaghetti monster, the stuff you hear about. But love itself, oh, she's like, I can believe if that's God, I can believe in that. And so you start to see the evidence of what happens when you don't have God and people slip away into anger and fear and self-absorption and the philosophical logic of it. And then the, just the delight in the moments of consolation that you get in prayer. Probably the earliest thing that I ever thought of as a test of God that came through. I don't know how old I was, maybe like 14. I was at mass and some little kid, maybe three years old, was behind me just coughing up a lung like it was the sickest sounding child I ever mm -hmm. heard. I felt so bad for this kid. I don't know. In some moment of generosity, I said, uh, God, uh, if you heal that kid, I'll take that cold for him. And within 24 hours, I started to get a fever and I was in bed. <laughs> And I was coughing up my lungs. And um, I mean, it could have been just that the kid sneezed on me, right? But um, I made a little generous offer to God and it was kind of amazing. Mm -hmm. 24 hours later, I had that kid's uh, illness. That was, I guess, for the, for me, the beginning of a personal reality that, yeah, sometimes these things really happen mm -hmm. when you uh, when you don't expect it. And it's an, an offering of love. I saw you taking notes there, Chris. Were you taking notes on oh, I everything? Well, both you guys, when you're talking, go ahead, Jesse. I right, just I thought of another. You know, this kind of leads to the rational thing too. This is really kind of silly, but I do think it, it hits home. But I saw this chart once, and it was kind of like a Punnett square type of deal. But you know, one one there's four squares, and on the left uh, left side of the chart is um, you you believe in our uh, you believe in God and God exists. And then the other one is, you know, you don't believe in God. It, it's four quadrant. You believe in God and God exists. You believe in God and God doesn't exist. Mm. You don't believe in God and God exists. And you don't believe in God and God doesn't exist. Okay. And, and so you, you kind of factor that in. And this guy who I read this article about, he said, um, worst case scenario, if you believe in God and God doesn't exist, you've put a lot of good in the world and you are a good person. Mm. You should be proud for the way that you live your life. Mm. Worst case scenario for God existing, you don't believe God exists in your <laughs> eternal damnation. And so he's like, I'm just playing the odds here. And it, uh, well, isn't that Pascal's, Pascal's wager? Yeah. 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 That's what it is. Okay. Yeah. So, uh, so I, when I heard that, I was just like, I really, I really like that. And it gives, it gives you a foundation to then kind of build uh, your, your faith on top of that. Not, I mean, that that alone would be kind of an ignorant way <laughs> to approach something, but it, it provides, I think, kind of a systemic uh, or uh, systematic approach mm -hmm. to this, which sometimes I think is a good thing. Yeah. No, what I hear both of you saying, and I 
I find this in myself too, is there's both, um, how I think about it is there's sort of objective proofs or objective reasons uh, that one might believe in God, but that in itself isn't quite enough. There's also both you guys, uh, and for me too, you know, there's these sort of personal things that they don't exist, uh, you know, sort of, uh, abstractions they're things that happen in your own personal life whether it's the snotty kid in the in the church or you know just the little things that uh that happen along the way that uh, you think wow that there was something really personal and intimate uh life-changing significant for me that uh you know it's just one of these glimpses of uh of god's reality and uh, his presence mm -hmm. uh, we had a student here who was very interested in healing ministry, and he came to talk to me about it. And he brought me a book by, I think it was Mary Healy. She teaches in Detroit, I think, the seminary. Mm -hmm. And um, she co-authored it with the priest whose name I forget right now. But she made the point, or they together made the point, that whenever Jesus healed people, often when he healed people, it was after there was a lack of faith. So, you know, healed them. You know, the man who went through the roof of the of the mm -hmm. house and he said well he was know, so mad he went through the roof <laughs> but <I'm, laughs> he came down through the roof he was like saint nick you know he came down through the chimney um you know jesus says well your lack of faith what will what makes it you know who he says your sins are forgiven well, who is he to forgive sins and he's, so you know that what i say is true i say to this guy get up and you know walk right or because your faith is weak, I will perform these miracles. So miracles tend to be these kind of confirmation signs for doubters to believe what they don't want to believe. And uh, you don't always have a miracle, but the, um, the miracles are not just little, you know, Vegas tricks to, to get some mm -hmm. ticket sales, but to confirm the truth. So this distortion or this lifting of the order of the physical realm is uh, something that says, yeah, I'm bigger in the physical realm but our scientific world only wants to measure the physical realm what i say a lot is like trying to find god in science is like trying to find use a geiger counter to test you know x-rays or something you know geiger counter to certain kinds of um mm. radiation but not other kinds and so you can't if you don't use the right tools then you can't uh make the right assessments mm. oh that's well said you know i think too sometimes uh just I do these little thought experiments, and it, it's hard to believe sometimes, and uh, in God or that Jesus is God or that Jesus is in the universe, whatever. It's just the nature of of belief that you don't know. Like there, there's something you have to uh, to assent to that you don't know, mm -hmm. and I think sometimes, ah, oh boy, wouldn't it just be easier just to just to say I'm not going to believe. You know, I'm just going to give it up. Uh, tomorrow, you know, at the strike of midnight, I'm going to be uh, an agnostic. <laughs> it's just going to be easier that way. And I think, well, wait a second. I I think I'd have a whole bunch of other questions. <laughs> I'm just I'm trading yeah. in one set of, of struggles and in, into some others that that might be harder. Yeah, yeah. But it's uh, we're I'm, I'm teaching a class, Dennis. You and I team taught this class uh once at the at the li it's that religion symbol and music class you did the music mm -hmm. part mm -hmm. of it and we were just reading this essay by christian smith have you ever come across that name christian smith he's a sociologist uh, from notre dame 
And he's probably most famous for coming up with this thing called moralistic therapeutic deism. And yes, I've heard of that, but I didn't know okay. he was the, the guy. Yeah, he's the guy. He's the guy, which is, you know, so they do all these sociological studies about the nature of belief in God and religion, among mostly among teens. And it's mostly moralistic, be a nice person. It's therapeutic. It makes you feel good. And it's deistic. Namely, God is out there somewhere and he's not messing around in your day-to-day -day life. Anyway. But he wrote this essay called uh, uh, Man the Religious Animal, and he asked this question, uh, is man naturally religious or are like the three liturgy guys and frankly, most of the world out there just sort of weirdos that uh, we're, we're a part of an evolution that uh, we'll eventually get uh, beyond. And one of the things that he says, and apparently wrote another book about this, is that we're just, we're believers. We're you know, we're not knowers, we're believers, whether it's religion or not, just your day-to-day um, uh, life is about believing things, you know, that, uh, your wife loves you. The roof's not going to fall down. Your car is going to start. You'll have food. The technology is going to work. It's just, you know, you know, any of that stuff. And so he says, you're sort of, your kind of your DNA is to be a believer in this sort of propensity to belief is one of the things that uh, kind of, uh, lends towards, uh, towards people being religious, but anyway. That was that was one of the things I was also thinking about with your question, Chris, was mm -hmm. like, how do you know? And, you know, I've learned a lot in, in my time, you know, with the liturgy guys and liturgical institute and all that stuff. But like, you know, if, if you were to ask me right now, I would say, um, you know, we are all born with an orientation towards God. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that. I mean, that's we are made in his image and likeness of God. It, that path after that moment is different for everybody, or mm -hmm. at least born with that. I mean, you see this, you know, uh, in, in cultures, you know, even before Christ, you know, religion existed, those beliefs existed, because people were trying to figure out something is happening beyond my capability of understanding and knowledge. And so they were trying to find explanations for that mm -hmm. uh, back into the existence of man. Yeah. Right. And that would be our desire for, for truth, right? Aquinas speaks about the soul having a hunger for understanding the way your stomach has a hunger for food and it's not satisfied until it gets it. Now, of course, if God is truth itself, then it's going to be logical that we want to know who God is or if God is goodness itself. But, you know, the interesting thing is what happens is seculars who say, oh, I don't believe in God. What do they start believing in? Crystals, you know, <laughs> Wiccan stuff, sometimes flip over to, uh, Satanism or some kind of uh, glossed over version of, of Satanism. Astron and so, astronomy is like really big in our culture. Like astrology, uh, you mean? Yeah, sorry, yeah, astrology. astrology. Oh, right. well, the, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. that's what I meant. And so we want to believe something. And the challenge always is, well, what, what do you believe? I remember many years ago, there was a guy who's since passed on. He was a priest from the uh, National Shrine of Divine Mercy up there in Stockbridge, Mass. And uh, he said that, the ancients, I always, I said to him, well, the ancients, you know, they sort of came up with different versions of the truth and then Christianity fulfilled it. He said, no, 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 they didn't come up with different versions of the truth. That's what different people remembered from what Adam, Adam and Eve once mm. knew completely. Oh, wow. So at the Tower of Babel and the cultures get scattered, like each one takes a bit of the truth and lives it. And so that was a very interesting way to flip it around, you know, that they remembered wow. something from the fullness of understanding rather than just discovered bits and pieces and probably discovered bits and pieces yeah. later as well. But, you know, just even reading scripture, all those amazing things I, I taught about the temple, 
class uh, on Thursday, and I'm explaining the, the veil and the, the four fabrics of the veil and what's on the other side of the veil and how these things are all fulfilled in the shadow and image and reality and priest, prophet, king, victim, and how Christ fulfills them all and the blood of bulls and goats and grain offerings. Like, you can't just make that stuff up and then find it fulfilled thousand years later, right? Or 2000 years later, because you don't know what's coming. And anybody can't fulfill all these subtle distinctions. Um, and so even just scripture alone is so layered and meaningful and uh, subtle and complicated and so coherent that that in itself is a sign that there's some intellect, you know, greater than ours. Yeah. Well, Dennis, let me take that in, as an occasion to kind of uh, refine this question a little bit more. So this is not simply why do you believe in God? And again, just, just to listeners, this, this isn't why you should believe in God. This is why we happen to believe in God. I, you know, everybody should have uh, some answers or at least an answer for why they do. But why, and Jesse, you mentioned, started to hint at this before. Why do you believe Jesus is God? Right? So you, you mentioned C.S. Lewis and Dennis, you were talking about all these things that sort of uh, very curiously seem to come to a head in uh, in Christ, but you know, so let, let's uh, let's just fine tune the question a little bit. Why do you why do you think Jesus is God? Who are you asking first? Well, since you have the mic, we'll go with you. Uh, I have the mic. Yeah, and plus, you you um, kind of started uh, earlier, I think, uh, on the, on that track. How these things come to Christ? Well, I mean, you can say, well, you're blessed, right, to live in a, mm -hmm. a time after Christ. You're blessed to have heard this good news from parents i think we have to think of this in terms of good news right it's not just like here's a thing believe it or else i'd say to students sometimes you know the winning lottery ticket is right outside the door and what are you going to do you're going to go get it right you're going to get up and go get it right so you think about christianity as a set of rules and a bunch of naysayers threatening you with oh well who wants that right but the good news is we're all fallen we're all sick we're all sad and um, God joined his divinity to our humanity so we could be joined to his divinity. And Jesus Christ is the person who did that. And the way he showed that is by rising from the dead. I mean, I think it'd be crazy if you, one of your relatives showed up in your office there and started talking to you and said, bring me a fish. You'd freak out, right? You'd run down the hall and think it was a ghost and all that stuff. And then Christ stayed with the apostles for 40 days and taught them all the answers to everything they needed to know in the road to Emmaus. And, so that's the good news, right? And so even if that's not accurate, boy, that's something great to believe in, right? But the, the key thing always is he rose from the dead. He conquered death, rose from the dead. Paul says it, right? If he didn't rise from the dead, then this is in vain because the power over sin and death is something only that God has. And so we have to trust those who gave us the good news. You know, I trust the professors who taught me and they trust the professors who taught them. And um, then you'd sort of do your own grown-up assessment and say, yeah, mm -hmm. this is good news that, uh, that makes sense. Seems right. right. It comports with history. It comports with creation. comports with scripture. comports with philosophy, mathematics. And mm. wow, it's pretty hard, uh, pretty hard to disprove, even though you can't really be proved in the mm. empirical scientific mm. method. Wow, that's great. Like no. this podcast, I, yeah. I think for the first time in seven years, I'm enjoying the podcast. <laughs> well, all right. <laughs> oh, I should press record. <laughs> ah, ah, ah. All right, Jesse, your turn. Uh, um, you know, I've got to go back to the the rational thing again, and and I don't want to, you know, I don't know, I just because I think it's it, it's really important, you know, for our foundation. But you know, the economy of salvation 
you know, and the Pascal mystery, it just makes sense. Right. You know, one of the things I heard, um, uh, your, your, your friend and ours, uh, Chris Stefanik, give a presentation on relativism, but he kind of talked a little bit about this too. And he said, he gave this example. He says, if you, uh, if you do something wrong and the cop pulls you over, you know, what are the circumstances or what happens? And it's, Oh, you write a ticket. Okay. Let's say the, the cop pulls you over and then you, you punch the cop. Well, now what happens? Okay. Now the punishment is more severe. It's like, let's say the president is coming down in a, you know, parade and you go up and you slap the president. Okay. Well now the punishment's, you know, even worse. And he says, what happens if you slap God, you know, like what, you know, or you do something worse and profane God, like what is the, the worst thing you can do is, you know, do something like that to God. So it, the punishment is so, so bad that we cannot even do it. He needs to come down and redeem the whole world. And so that just makes everything make sense. The fact that, you know, we live in a fallen world is the only way to explain why, you know, bad things happen to good people and like, you know, a life's meaning and all of that. And the fact that there is a path to salvation and that it's not even here, it's in the eternal, you know, kingdom. It just, to me, always made sense. And so the more I learned about it, the more I kind of, like Dennis said, add more pieces to that, uh, you know, across the great landscape of, you know, the church's intellectual tradition, I think just the more it edifies me and the more it builds me up. And again, you know, going back to this whole thing, it's like, if I, if I uh, you know, believe that I should be contrite and go confess my sins to a priest, and let's say he's not in persona Christi and there is no Jesus, like, that's still a good thing for me to reflect on the bad things that I've done and try to be better. That will always be a good thing regardless. You know, mm-hmm. the fact that there is a God and the fact that Christ is both God and man and, and came and, and saved us through his suffering. That's like the ultimate bonus on top. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that we talked about this before. Oh, happy fault. You know, that is such a, a great little meditation. to put. So mm-hmm. for me, you know, the economy of salvation and, and you know, the Paschal mystery. Love mm-hmm. it. Okay. And what's at the center of all of it? Love, right? That's the best answer. These are not the old gods of the ancient Romans who were jealous of us and had babies with humans so they could control us and, you know, sent people to Hades, you know, and all this stuff. The, the old gods, this is one thing, again, Bishop Barron said this somewhere, maybe in a homily, that the old gods needed us because they didn't have everything, you know, they, they needed to be able to manipulate us. God has to be beyond us and complete in himself, or he could manipulate us for his own purposes, right? So you have like this ideal version of God who doesn't need us, and he has to not need us because otherwise he could use us as slaves. Because he doesn't need us, then he's free uh, to love us. And that's the heart of the Christian revelation, which is different, I think, from the other systems of um, understandings of, of the divinities. Zeus got some problems, right? <laughs> different gods. <laughs> have issues and uh, they do bad things to people. They're capricious. They're untrustworthy. And uh, the God, as we understand it, is not hmm. nothing but giving out good stuff to those hmm. who want it. And you want proof? It's the saints. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. isn't that one of the, I think that was one of the lines of Pope Benedict that the, the church's greatest apologetic is uh, beauty in the saints. You know, the example of sanctity that, you know, you, you, why why is Mother Teresa more happy and more beautiful 
than you know a billionaire with a yacht uh, lives in the west and you know, is completely secular um i don't know they're, they're, she's they're just examples of, of goodness and love and joy and happiness so many proof that we can yeah that we can be that way yeah. if christ is the first fruits people say sometimes the virgin mary is the second fruit of of redemption uh, she's preserved uh, from original sin uh, and none of us are preserved from original sin but we can live as if we are not under the effects of yeah. original sin, at yeah. least to a higher degree, when transformed by by grace. So, yeah. so uh, Chris, to put you on the spot, oh yeah, oh what is, yeah, what does all this have to do with liturgy and or the Eucharist? Well, again, I think imagine you say <laughs> I'm saying to my 16 or how old's Agnes? I don't know, 15 year old daughter, Agnes. Agnes, you should believe that Jesus is present in the Eucharist. Or I say this to somebody at to the parish, and they're going to say to me present in the Eucharist, I don't even know if there's a God or not. So I think that, you know, we're all about Eucharistic revival, Eucharistic revival, Eucharistic revival. We have to talk about the Eucharist, talk about the Eucharist. I think a part of that exercise is taking a few steps back and saying that, um, you know, a revival needs to be founded upon that's the right way, you know, some other reflection and introspection and prayer and graces that, you know, just about the nature of God and his, and my relationship with him about the person and work of uh, Christ and the economy of salvation and the mass. And then if those things are more grounded, I suppose, then I think our study of and prayer about and participation in the Eucharist will be all the more fruitful but if it's just about Eucharist, Eucharist, Eucharist all the time, then eh, it, we we might be missing a lot. So that's why I wanted to do this. And I guess the, well, one, I want to know what you guys said. Uh, two, I wanted to, you know, you guys were right to ask me, you know, these same questions. I wanted to fine tune my own answers. I don't know how clear they were to people, but also maybe just to encourage uh, listeners out there to, you know, to think these very same things, you know, as you're listening in the car or whatever over the next week, you know, why do you believe there is a God? Not, you know, you personally, Steve, Mary, whatever. Why do you think Jesus is God? And then, you know, kind of as a, I don't know, as a consequence or a beautiful fruit of that, why do we get to Jesus and God in mm -hmm. the Eucharist? So anyway, that was well, on my mind. You can take a next step pretty easily, which is if God is love itself, if God is goodness itself, if God wants us to be like him, if God sent his son to save us, to join humanity to divinity. And he's got to have some means for delivering that divinity to us. And, um, you know, it's really easy to get caught up in matter and form and species mm. and all that stuff, which is great. You know, the, the internal workings of things, but the big picture, and th this is what people like Hans Urs von Balthasar and others said about the Thomist, uh, what they call it, sawdust Thomism. They memorized all of these terms and they never learned about, salvation. <laughs> they memorize all these terms and they never thought, well, why would God do this at all? He's got to feed us with his with his own divine life somehow. And, you know, sometimes it's easy to think, well, why didn't he just show up in my backyard with lightning and thunder and just blow my socks off? So I have to believe in him. Well, that would be kind of threatening, you know, intimidating, maybe not uh, giving us quite a free uh, choice it has to be subtle. It takes a little work for us to see it. It takes some belief that's outside of, you know, the immediate sense of reason, maybe. But then you stop and say, okay, he wants to feed us. What do you do with your kids so they don't die? <laughs> you feed them. And it's very simple and uh, pretty straightforward. Go ahead. 
Well, thank you, Chris, for this uh, yeah. great thought experiment. It's really great. And mm-hmm. uh, I think we have uh, now we get to ask a question <laughs> of the liturgy guys from a listener. So here we go. Mail call. Mail call. Oh, Moses, Moses, why do you question me? Why do you care? Today, we have a similar debate over this. Anyone know what this is, class? Anyone? In my case, sir, the question is totally without meaning. Chris, you have a question that came across for the liturgy guys. This is new, so let's. Uh, what do you? Yeah, got? yeah. You get okay. to ask it and answer it yourself. You're no, like the no, priest no. I... and the victim. Oh, <laughs> no, you're person. the victims. <laughs> okay, I got an invitation uh, recently to be on a new podcast, so I'm leaving the liturgy guys. No, that's oh. uh, but I am going to be on this podcast. <laughs> I was like, you waited. <laughs> no. no, so the podcast, it's a new podcast. It's called Five Books for Catholics. Five Books for Catholics. I don't know if you've heard of it or not. Anyway, I thought so it was the, just called the Torah. Well, I think oh. that's actually that's how it came out. So it's five different books on on whatever it might be, liturgy, mass, scripture, apologetics, you know, not Catholic novels, things like that. And so I was asked to be on this uh, Five Books for Catholics podcast to talk about my five favorite books or five best books on the so, liturgy. Catholic right? Church Architecture in the Spirit of the Liturgy. Okay. Right, how to Read one. Churches, Heavenly but, City. Yeah, okay. <laughs> but you know how it is, right? You, when you're at home, you think, okay, next time I go to the store, I have to get uh, you know Q-tips and uh, beard balm and uh, apples and things. And then you go to the store and you can't remember anything <laughs> that uh, you're supposed to get. So, you know, I've read books on the liturgy and stuff before, but I, my mind drew a blank. So I just want to do a, uh, what have they called? Just get a real fast, uh, tell me, give me five good books on liturgy. Dennis. Uh, you see? think you're going to have to read? Come on. All right. Um, the Mystery of the Temple by Yves Congar. These are all my go-tos. Okay. Um, all right. Hang on. We'll, we'll go back and forth. Jesse, give me a uh, book. I would say you're a devotional journey through the mass. That's a Chris Carson's. Hmm. Good answer. Okay. Uh, 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 Dennis, um, 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 uh, Leonid Spensky's is it Bixpensky? No, Paul F. Dokumov. You can write that. Uh, oh, the yeah. Art of the Icon, E V D O K I M O V. The Art okay. of the Icon, Jesse, uh, Theologica Prima by uh, mm. um, uh David that Fager. guy, really good. Okay, all right, uh, Dennis, the next three are all John Honey books. All right, well, just give me one. I only have five. It's uh, five books. Okay, not six. It's five. The Mystery of the Temple. All we right. just talked about it, or we will talk about it someday, or right. I don't know. Okay, so I've got. Uh, no, you didn't. You just say Mystery of the Temple. Wasn't that yeah. number one? Yeah. No. Well, what's number five then? No, that's a different book. That's Eve Congar's. Oh, that's right. Okay. okay, so you got uh, Eve Congar's Mystery of the Temple, uh, Devotional Journey in the Mass by me. Uh, Paul and Dokimov's uh, Theology of the Icon, David Fagerberg's Theologica Prima, and Mystery of the Temple by Jean Honey. I got to say that uh, I, have one, I have one more five between them. Right. Yeah, okay. okay, one more. Yes, Con- Consecrating the World on Mundane Liturgical Theology by David Fagerberg. Really good. Ah, consecrating it's really yeah. good. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, for the record, I didn't think of any of these books when they when they asked me. So. It's gonna be helpful. Wait, are we just your doing your job? Is this what this part of the podcast? Well, I need a little. I need a little help on that. I mean, what? Well, plus uh, maybe somebody out there, if they're still listening, would be uh, interested in a good book uh, recommendation, which you guys have just given. 
the ones I chose are Spirit of the Liturgy by Gardini, Spirit of the Liturgy by Ratzinger, uh, The Wellspring of Worship. Spirit by of the Liturgy Sh- by Dennis McNamara. By Dennis McNamara. <laughs> the Wellspring of Worship by Jean Carbon. Uh, Otto Kazel, The Mystery of Christian Worship. Mm-hmm. And uh, Josef Jungmann's Mass of the Roman Rite. I They're haven't good. read the mm-hmm. Otto Kazel one yet. That I got to put that on. Oh, These yeah. are your desert island books, huh? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like I said, it was really hard to put the list together. So I wonder if I was overlooking anything. So I don't know. Thanks I for the input. I thought it was a dessert island. Dang it. <laughs> All uh, right. So there's your liturgy question. Well, there you answers, no, no, I think so. that I think that's a good question. We probably should have done that a while ago. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Thank you, Chris, for your liturgy question. If you have what if I have another question, Jesse? No, no, no. You only get one a year, and you already used it. It's only January, so too late. All right. If you have a question for us, you can email us at questions at liturgyguys.com or tweet us at liturgyguys. Thank you, and God bless. Thank you, Jesse. Another episode of Liturgy Guys has mercifully come to an end. Our hosts are Chris, get out of my dreams and into my Carsons, Dennis, Big McNamara, and Jesse Y-O-Y-O-Weiler. Our producers are Michael Don't Be So Coy and Nathan First Round Draft Pickman. Our epiclesis inspector is Isabel Ringing. Our liturgical bookkeeper is Miss L. Romano. Our official aerobics instructor is Jen Uflecht. Our enforcer of choral discipline is Don B. Flat. Our official rubrics interpreter is Dewey Neal. Our self-gift provider is Kenosis. Our simplicity enforcer is Fran Siskin. And lastly, our crack team of confessors is Dewey Shrivam and Howe. And even though overstoles become understoles when they hear us say it, we are the The Liturgy Liturgy Guys. Guys.